0: Welcome to Rust Belt Abolition Radio. My name is A. Maria. In this episode, we speak with Sandro Mesadra about the processes of bordering that extend far beyond the physical walls we usually think about when we speak of borders. Sandro is a professor of political theory at the University of Bologna and has written extensively about borders and migration, such as in a book he co authored with Brett Nielsen titled Border as Method.
1: Pressure has ramped up inside prisons across the so-called U.S. as several departments of correction have imposed a wave of seemingly unrelated lockdowns over the last month. On April 17th, the St. Louis Correctional Facility in Gratiot County, Michigan was put on lockdown after 50 imprisoned people broke out in fights over the course of three days. All state prisons in Mississippi were put on lockdown on April 20th, with the Department of Corrections citing only quote-unquote security concerns as a justification. The lockdowns bar visitation, commissary, outdoor recreation for inmates among other repressive measures of containment and punishment. On April 15th, riots broke out at Lee Correctional Institution in South Carolina. Seven inmates were killed and 22 seriously injured in what's being described as the worst incident of prison violence in modern South Carolina history. South Carolina's prison system, long known for its uninhabitable conditions, is one of the deadliest in the country. It took four hours from the beginning of the violence before emergency medical personnel were able to get into the facility and treat inmates. On April 16th, imprisoned people at the Wynn unit in Huntsville, Texas, went on hunger strike in response to being put on lockdown. Prior to the lockdown, the unit was put on medical restriction due to a norovirus outbreak, and prison staff were blocked from entering the unit. As last reported from the inside, 22 inmates were on hunger strike.
2: I am Alejo, here with A. Maria. And you're listening to Rust Belt Abolition Radio, an abolitionist media and movement-building project based in Detroit, Michigan.
0: Today, our special guest is Sandro Mesadra, who is an associate professor of political theory at the University of Bologna. We will be talking with him about borders, something he's written quite a bit about. Welcome, Sandro, and thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for inviting me. So, Sandro, let's get started. You've uh, written extensively about the function of borders and bordering. I did. Mm. In contemporary capitalism, uh, to which we'll get to soon. But before we get there, we wanted to begin by asking you about a tradition of struggle that has influenced you greatly. This tradition is called operaismo, in Italian, or workerism, and is sometimes also referred to as autonomous Marxism, for example, or simply autonomism. Can you tell us a little bit about this tradition and how it has influenced your work, specifically how you think about borders and migration?
3: Well, this tradition uh, has been crucial to my own uh, political training because uh, I joined uh, the so-called uh, autonomous movement uh, in Italy when I was uh, a kid. It was not that unusual at the end of the 70s uh, in Italy to uh, become uh, politicized uh, at 15, 16 uh, And this was also my experience. Uh, To put it very shortly, uh, Italian workerism has always uh, emphasized uh, uh, the relevance uh, of uh, struggles Writ large not only uh, explicitly political uh, struggles uh, but also uh, behaviors, uh, practices uh, of uh, workers and uh, more generally uh, subaltern people and this has been uh, very important for me when uh, I first encountered uh, migration in Italy. Italy has uh, a very uh, peculiar history as far as migration is concerned because uh, in the 1980s, uh, the country uh, became uh, a country of immigration after having been for more than a century a country of Emigration, as uh, any American citizen knows. So immigration, immigration from North Africa, immigration from Sub-Saharan Africa, immigration from Latin America, was something new for us at the end of uh, the 1980s. I I grew up in Genoa, hmm? quite important industrial port city in the northwest of Italy, and the city in which uh, I grew up was a white city. Suddenly, we realized that the city was not white anymore, that uh, there were uh, new people around us, that the city itself was changing in a quite dramatic way. And so I started with uh, other comrades and friends uh, to think about uh, migration, from the angle of uh, workerism. In a way, emphasizing uh, the whole set uh, of practices and behaviors uh, that uh, constitute uh, the subjective side of uh, migration, uh, and uh, started to think of uh, what uh, we uh, came to define uh, a bit later in terms of the autonomy of uh, migration. But the real point that for me uh, constitutes the um, connection between uh, uh, my own training in workerism and my political and also theoretical work on migration is precisely this idea to look at migration taking uh, its uh, subjective dimension as uh, the crucial viewpoint. (laughs)
0: We're here in Detroit, in the Rust Belt, so to speak. The black-led class struggle in the late 1960s created some of the most radical organizations of the moment, such as the League of Revolutionary Black Workers. And these struggles were happening simultaneously alongside the struggles of workers in the automobile factories of northern Italy. Uh, What is the relation between the work of black radical thinkers such as C.L.R. James and James Boggs and Italian workerism?
3: Well, uh, this relation... uh, is really important uh, although uh, it is uh, not uh, well known. Mm -hmm. C.L.R. James, uh, the League of Revolutionary Black Workers, uh, DRAM, uh, were uh, crucial sources of inspiration for uh, Italian workers, as well as uh, uh, sociological Uh, investigations uh, in factories, particularly in Detroit, uh, that since uh, the 1950s uh, were uh, pointing to uh, specific workers' behaviors uh, that were not uh, uh, directly political, like absenteeism, Uh, showing uh, that uh, these behaviors uh, were uh, in a way expressing uh, a refusal of the workers uh, with respect to factory discipline. So what I was saying uh, before about uh, this uh, attempt uh, to expanded the very notion of struggle uh, beyond what is uh, traditionally traditionally understood as struggle also in the Marxist tradition, uh, took uh, the reality of uh, factories and uh, workers' experiences in a city like Detroit as uh, a crucial source of uh, inspiration. Later, uh, such uh, experiences as the ones uh, that uh, you were uh, mentioning uh, were particularly important for uh, Italian uh, workerist uh, activists uh, in order to get Uh, a different kind uh, of uh, perspective uh, on the development of Black Power uh, in uh, the uh, U.S. This connection between uh, Black Power and uh, Black Workers' struggles uh, was uh, really very important uh, for uh, us. But let me say something more. The uh, question... uh, So effectively raised uh, by uh, organizations like DROM, uh, the League of Black Revolutionary Workers uh, in Detroit, which means uh, the question of the relation between class and race uh, became uh, really important for us. in uh, the framework uh, of uh, the dramatic transformations uh, uh, produced by migration since the late 1980s, as I was saying uh, before. Because uh, in uh, the history of uh, workerism, uh, the problem of race uh, was not directly posited until uh, that transformation. To be more precise, uh, we had a kind of uh, uh, similar problem already in the 1960s in Italy. Because uh, worker struggles in northern Italy that you were mentioning were basically struggles of migrant workers. Which kind of migrant workers, internal workers, workers from the south of Italy? And uh, you may be familiar with uh, the southern question and its relevance in Italian history. This huge divide between uh, an industrial north and an underdeveloped south. So this problem that uh, was uh, discussed uh, in third worldism in the 1960s uh, as a problem uh, of uh, the relation between uh, the North and the Third World uh, was in Italy an internal problem. And since uh, the late 1950s, there was a dramatic uh, a uh, wave of migration from the south uh, to the north. <laughs> Everywhere in the world, uh, mass industrialization, Fordism uh, is associated with migration. <laughs> And in Italy, this migration uh, was internal migration from the south. <laughs> and uh, migrants from the south uh, were kind of uh, facing uh, racism, uh, both uh, in uh, the northern cities and in the factories. <laughs> and it was the politicization of this new generation of uh, workers from the south uh, that spurred the exceptional uh, cycle of uh, worker struggles uh, that we experienced in Italy in uh, the 1960s. So the question was not uh, posited, uh, uh, framed in terms of race, <laughs> but uh, uh, the problem was there, and the experience uh, of uh, the revolutionary black organizations in Detroit, uh, uh, in a way, already spoke to the Italian experience.
2: So Detroit is a city, of, like most American cities, of many borders along racial and, and class lines, as, as we've been talking about just now. Going along with that, I mean, when we speak about borders, what we think of is of a wall, a wall that stretches across hundreds of miles across land in Palestine or in the so-called United States or, or somewhere else. But in your writing with Brett Nielsen, uh, however, you want to sort of move away from thinking about the border solely as a wall. Why is it that we should move away simply about thinking of the border as a wall? And what are its, its political consequences for today? Well, of course, uh, uh,
3: moving away from uh, thinking of the border simply as a wall doesn't mean uh, to forget that there are many walls uh, along international borders, uh, but also within uh, urban spaces so we take very seriously this kind of proliferation of wars that we have uh, been witnessing uh, over the last uh, years and we take very seriously the necessity to struggle against these borders. Nevertheless, we are convinced that uh, the border as many manifestations uh, that cannot be reduced to the materiality of uh, a wall. I can say uh, in a a very uh, simple way that uh, uh, I first discovered the uh, relevance of uh, borders participating uh, in uh, struggles of migration uh, in Genoa uh, in the early 1990s. It is participating uh, in uh, struggles uh, of migration uh, that I discovered, for instance, uh, that uh, the color line uh, started to be drawn uh, across urban spaces uh, that uh, historically... uh, had not been shaped by the color line. (laughs) So this is a much more elusive kind of border that can also uh, materialize in something similar to a wall, but has much wider implications. Moreover, I think that uh, Focusing our imagination on uh, the wall hmm, leads us uh, to lose sight of uh, other aspects that are constitutive of any border. And first of all, of uh, the challenge that uh, movements of migration posit to the border. What we try to do uh, with Brett uh, in uh, the book that uh, you were mentioning uh, is to look at the borders from the viewpoint of uh, people on the move, uh, of people that challenge the stability of the border. And if you start to take uh, this point of view, then uh, even uh, (laughs) walls... (laughs) becomes uh, become uh, more uh, flexible and maybe less uh, intimidating
2: yeah so in a way also what this implies is that this flexibility of the wall right this mobility also of the wall implies also that it's not simply an instrument of exclusion as well right i mean this is something that you also uh, talk about and write about so there's a kind of continuity there's a there's a flipping back and forth between the wall as something and the border as something that excludes and includes. So, can you tell us about sort of this dual function of the border as something that includes and excludes and its importance for thinking about borders?
3: Yes, thank you for uh, asking uh, this uh, question. I mean, it's apparent that borders uh, exclude. It is apparent uh, that uh, this uh, exclusion uh, often takes uh, terrifying uh, forms. Mm. You know, death in the deserts uh, across uh, the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, thousands of people drawn in the Mediterranean in the last uh, years. So never forget this and let's continue to struggle against this at the same time i think uh, there is a need uh, to uh, keep in mind that uh, borders also shape the forms of uh, inclusion my friend and comrade uh, uh, nicolas de genova has written extensively on uh, Mexican uh, uh, migration to the US uh, from this point of view, showing that uh, the border uh, performs uh, crucial functions of inclusion even through illegalization of migrant uh, bodies uh, and uh, labor. Hmm. And this is something that uh, we have been able to show also huh, with respect uh, to Europe. Huh, meaning that, uh, huh, independently of the effectiveness of uh, the image of fortress Europe, uh, huh, what has happened uh, over the last uh, 20 years uh, is that more than the walls of a fortress, uh, huh, they European border regime has established a kind of system of dikes that have facilitated processes of what we call differential hierarchical inclusion. I repeat, also in Europe, even through illegalization of migrant bodies and migrant labour. This has uh, uh, important implications, of course, for the experience of uh, these migrants, but more generally for the reshaping of citizenship and labour markets uh, across uh, different uh, geographical scales in uh, Europe as well in the US. Always keeping in mind that that Europe and the US have completely different histories of uh, migration. But nevertheless, it is possible to trace uh, analogies, to listen to resonances between uh, these uh, different uh, kind of landscapes. And let me add just one more point that uh, is more general. Over the last uh, uh, couple of decades, uh, there has been uh, a tendency of uh, uh, critical uh, thinking of activism to focus in a quite exclusive way on exclusion, on the struggle against exclusion. Of course, I mean, we have to continue this uh, struggle. Mm-hmm. But we don't have uh, to uh, forget that also inclusion has its uh, violent, uh, discriminating uh, yeah. sides. <laughs> so we have, uh, I mean, to uh, gain the offensive again uh, mm-hmm. and uh, to uh, uh, extend our uh, uh, Critique and our activism beyond the territories of exclusion hmm.
2: so following this this line this last uh, line of thought you were you were mentioning um, of course thinking of borders as both exclusion and inclusion then what do you what do you make of the calls then of many activists in Europe and the United States and other parts of the world for the abolition of borders i have uh
3: Participated uh, for many years now in uh, no border politics. Hmm. I have participated uh, in the organization of no border camps and uh, no border actions. This is the background of uh, our uh, uh, engagement with uh, the topic of uh, the border. Hmm. Let me say that uh, I am. Uh, a bit wary of uh, the emphasis uh, on uh, the abolition of borders uh, when this emphasis uh, is uh, uh, framed in uh, merely normative terms, meaning that, uh, I mean, there must be no border in our ideal world. (laughs) I am more interested in this uh, dirty and f***ing world, in the real world, you know. I am more interested in the struggles that uh, surround the contemporary proliferation and also the the, the mutations of uh, borders. And of course, in these struggles, there is a tension toward the abolition of borders but uh, uh, I think that this material tension uh, is more interesting uh, than uh, uh, the imagination of a world without borders.
0: Hmm. So the border is not only a wall, but a machine. It's a method that has the capacity both to exclude as well as to include. And we often think of prisons and the penal system more broadly solely as machines of exclusion. They define, so to speak, who is part of society and who is not, particularly here in the United States, across racial lines. So the danger with this, of course, is that inclusion means being part of a society that continues to police and punish certain gendered and racialized bodies, even outside prison walls. So given the situation, how do you see the border as method working in relation to the prison or the carceral more generally?
3: That's a very uh, good question, uh, huh. Of course, uh, uh, this question uh, uh, must be uh, answered uh, in uh, different ways uh, uh, with respect to uh, different uh, situations. Mm. The U.S. situation is uh, kind of peculiar in uh, this uh, regard although it is also driving the development of the kaaters in uh, many parts of uh, the world it is uh, uh, something obvious that uh, prisons have a kind of function of exclusion of uh, bordering and containing uh, bodies uh, within uh, uh, walled uh, spaces. I would uh, ask whether it is possible to analyze a process of mass incarceration as the one we are confronted with in the United States uh, from the angle of uh, the contribution that this process makes uh, to the reshaping of uh, the society. I think that uh, it is uh, uh, crucially important uh, to keep an eye open on uh, uh, the relation between uh, these world spaces uh, and the society uh, writ large, it is crucially important uh, to uh, contest the kind of effect uh, of segregation uh, that is part and parcel of uh, the carceral, particularly in front of conditions of uh, uh, mass incarceration. So which is the kind uh, uh, of labor, for instance, that is performed in uh, uh, prisons? which is uh, uh, the kind of uh, uh, functions that prisons perform with respect to the reorganization of urban spaces. For instance, uh, in Detroit, in the Rust Belt, these are, for me, uh, very important questions uh, that uh, uh, lead us uh, to, to, to widen a bit uh, the scope, uh, to widen a bit uh, uh, the, the the perspective uh, uh, with regard to the analysis and the contestation of uh, the carceler. Yeah. Well,
0: thank you. Thank, thank you so you. much for your work thank and you for joining much. us. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for tuning in. You can listen to past episodes on our website at www.rustbellradio.org. This show is co-produced by the Rustbell Abolition Radio Crew, A. Maria, David Langset, Catalina Rios, Cape Saya, and Alejo Stark. Original music by Bad Infinity.